Good to see you all here. I'm reading today from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 4 from the New Living Translation. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. Thanks be to God for his word. Thanks, Barry. Let me also say good morning and uh, welcome this morning. Rio uh, 2016. It's now only days away. Uh, Rio 2016 marks the uh, first time a South American uh, country will host the Olympics. So history's being made this week. Canada has all of its athletes primed and ready to go. Some are there already. Russia, I'm not sure of the latest update. I think uh, some are going, some are not. Um, the road to Rio. We'll get a chance to uh, learn about this great country of Brazil, uh, the fifth largest country in the world behind Russia, Canada, China, and the United States. Uh, beyond sport, Brazil is known for its great diversity, uh, its culture, its mix of colonial and modern architecture. How many, by the way, have been to Brazil? Put your, oh, that's a few. Great. Total population of Brazil is around 206 million, making it the fifth largest country in the world. It's the largest Portuguese-speaking country in the world. Hey, we have somebody over here that speaks Portuguese. Yes, I just saw you walk in. Soccer is the, uh, is the most popular sport in Brazil. Uh, some of the greatest players in the history of the sport have come from uh, the country that has won a record five FIFA World Cups, highest uh, number for any nation. But don't forget about that country to the south, Chile. Yeah, anybody here from Chile? Yeah, yeah, there's a few people here from Chile. And I think you maybe won a game or two lately, right? Defeated Argentina. Uh, Chile is great. What do you say, Viva Chile? Yeah, so the road to Rio will be busy um, with athletes flying in from many nations of the world, and all eyes will be on Rio. What a great opportunity for us to think about another road. Um, That's the road to real. The road to real. Real life, uh, real experiences, real struggles, real solutions, real faith, real challenges common to us all. And on that road and at the end of the road, finding something that's very real, that satisfies and gives hope and and meaning to life. So, so the road to real. And so this is a brief four-week series 
And I'll be joined by uh, Sid Page and uh, Pastor Dorb, who will, by the way, be back among us uh, next Sunday. And uh, this morning, we're just going to start this series by looking at the first verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. So we're going to stay in Hebrews, the first four verses for the next four Sundays. Uh, So the writer to the Hebrews says, uh, therefore, and we're not sure who the writer is precisely, there are lots of different uh, speculations as to who this writer is, but we don't know for sure. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, or you could say spectators, to the life of faith. Now, obviously, we're surrounded by a lot of spectators from the past uh, who have filled the stadiums of faith through the centuries. A massive building project has been underway to provide the venues for the gathering of the world. And it always seems like at the Olympics, it's the last minute, will they get it built or not? Brazil is in the midst of, uh, of its worst recession in 25 years. The economy predicted to shrink by 3.5% this year. Certainly challenging for many of the Brazilian people themselves to attend to buy tickets while their minds are uh, focused on their financial stability. The country is also hit by many other concerns from the political scandal surrounding the president to fears about the Zika virus spreading in the country, to the worries about the high crime rate and whether the security can hold up during the games. So these are challenging days in Brazil, not to mention anything about the water. And uh, the notice that went out to the swimmers that uh, they should keep their mouths closed when they're swimming. <laughs> I think they need to invent a little grill there somehow to just uh, so it's, it's not a pretty scene. The stadiums are being built. Millions of people will be right there to witness the sporting events, and many of us around the world will be keeping a close watch on it through the various media sources. So let's begin with the, the first word of the first verse of Hebrews chapter 12, and it's the word, therefore. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. I know you've often heard it said that when you come across the word therefore, we would be very wise to stop and just ask what that word is there for. Why does the word therefore launch us into the 12th chapter of Hebrews? Well, in this case, it's a connecting word between the two chapters. The writer is connecting what he has just said about men and women of faith in chapter 11. And now in chapter 12, he's laying a new thought on the foundation for these people of faith in his day. So the writer, uh, the people of Hebrews 11, had their race in their day, and they ran very well. But it's past. But now in Hebrews 12, the writer is turning his attention to his own community of faith. How are we doing? And the bottom line is he wants his friends, he wants the people who he's writing to, to also run well with great endurance. So you're going to see that in the next uh, few weeks, there's a key word to these four verses. And that key word is the word endurance. It's a word that we all need to be reminded of. 
It's a reminder that we all need to, to run today's race well and to run it today. So let's start there, running the real race today. The writer chose to wrap his thoughts around the sport of foot racing. Today, I'm sure if this same writer uh, was in the stands in Rio, uh, he would have a smattering of choices. Uh, you could imagine the, the ideas that would be flowing out of his mind as to how he could draw some spiritual metaphors. The games have changed, new venues have been added. But I guess in general, not a lot has changed. The, the spirit of competition remains the same. Both the Greeks and the Romans felt it. They had their national pride. We have it today as well. Uh, it's the honor of our country that our athletes play for. Uh, and when the nations come together in Rio, our national pride is on the line. And so we're all cheering. We're all cheering for Canada. And we're cheering for our athletes to give their very best for their country. We're in a race called life. Uh, for some, uh, it began quite a while ago. And for others, the race has just started. There are a lot of little ones in our congregation. The race is just getting started. They're just getting going. And that's how it's been through all the generations of time. I remember the evening that my father passed away. Uh, we no sooner had... Uh, watched him pass away and we were just walking out of the hospital and we met someone whose wife had just then given birth to a brand new little daughter or son, I can remember which. Such is the way of life. We're in a real race day by day. It began with the first breath and it continues every birthday every day right to the last day when we breathe our last breath. Yeah, it's a race between birthday and death day. We're in a race. It's a daily race. And we only have now. Every day, it's just like it's only now. So just a perspective on today. We cannot change the past and we cannot predict the future. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We're tempted to try to see what we can do with the past or to see what we can do with the future. We look back on, on the past with regret on the things that maybe we shouldn't have said, maybe the things we shouldn't have done. We actually beat ourselves up over our past. But actually, we can't change the past. It's done. We, we, might, we might like to live there or be prone to live there, especially if it's been good and we don't want to, we want, need to move on. But we can't change it. So we simply live under a cloud of the past or not. Or we forgive ourselves and we move forward. We can't change the past. We can learn from it, but we can't change it. And then sometimes we're tempted to live in the future. We're not living in the now, but we're living in the, he in, in the, in the future. And we're living in our dreams, and our, sometimes our dreams are fantasy, uh, huge sums of money are paid to those who think they, they can predict the future for us. And so we would like to just project ourselves into the future. But no one knows. We don't know what a day will bring forth. In fact, we don't know what an hour will bring forth. 
And the reality is that we can't even say with certainty what a minute will bring forth. So the past is done, it's done, and the future is yet to be lived, and what we have is the present. And that's what the writer is reminding his listeners of. We have today. We run the race, not the past, not the future. We run the race today. If you're going to finish, you've got to keep running until you reach the finish line. Uh, by 7 o'clock on October the 20th, 1968, at the Mexico City Olympic Stadium, it was just beginning to get dark. And the, cool, the, the, the coolness of the, of the evening was beginning to set in. And the last of the Olympic marathon runners were being kind of ushered away, some to first aid stations. Over an hour earlier, Mamo Wadi of uh, Ethiopia had charged against uh, uh, across the finish line winning the 26-mile, 385-yard, looking as strong and vigorous as when he started. As the last few thousand spectators began preparing to leave, to leave they heard police sirens and whistles through the gate uh, entering the stadium. And the, the attention turned to that gate, and a sole figure, a single guy, wearing the color of Tanzania, came limping into the stadium. His name was John Stephen Aquari. He was the last man to finish the marathon in 1968. His leg was swollen, bloody, he was bandaged up. He had taken a fall early in the race and, and, and now it was all he could do just to kind of limp around the track and come across the finish line. As he came in, the crowd stood and applauded as he completed the last lap. When he finally crossed the finish line, one man dared to ask the question that everybody was wondering. Gosh, you're badly injured. You're hurt. You're in pain. You didn't have to quit. Why didn't you quit? You, 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 you could have quit. Why, why didn't you just give up? Why didn't you just stop way back there 20 miles ago? And Aquari, with quiet dignity, said, My country did not send me 7,000 miles to start this race. My country sent me to finish. Ah. Oh. So it is with God. God didn't just send you to start this race. He didn't just send you to begin a noble task or a noble relationship. God sent you, brought you into this world to not only start, but to finish. And the race is today. It's only today. It's always today. Secondly, we stand on the shoulders of others. If you're at a parade and too small to see over everyone, it's a real special treat, especially when you're younger, to be placed on the shoulders of your dad or your mom. You get a great view from the shoulders of a parent. We get an awesome view of the race to which we are called 
through looking back and realizing we've been privileged to see from the vantage point of those who have gone before us. And the race we're on today is inspired by the view that we have of the past. Someone called this the principle uh, of historical affirmation. The principle of historical affirmation. Just another way to, to say that church history, our past in the Christian faith, is a huge inspiration for staying snug to the road of walking with God today and, and running today's race. And now they are the spectators cheering us on. I mean, usually we say to one another, don't be a spectator in the Christian faith. Come right down, come right down and be on the playing field. You're needed on the playing field. But, friends, they were once on the playing field. And they laid it all out there. They gave everything they had, and now they're gone. So that's that connecting word, therefore. And it connects us to the past, to Hebrews 11. There's a whole list of men and women who stood up, who left it all on the field, and they kept on trucking until they died. There's a lot of amazing people in the stands. Jacob is there. And he was a liar and a cheat. He made a lot of mistakes. But he's cheering from the stadium. He's saying, I know you, how guilty you feel because I felt that in my life too. But he's saying, keep on trucking because I, I, I did it. I made it. And it's worth it. And God called Moses to go back home to Egypt and lead his people out of the country. And you remember he spoke to him out of a burning bush? And God says, you've got to go back. You've got to go back home and you've got to lead your people out. And God says, uh, really, God? You want me to go back to Egypt? Sure. And, and what do I tell them? Do I tell them I heard a voice coming out of a bush? And they're going to say, what kind of fruitcake are you? you? You want me to lead your people out? But Moses is up in those stands, and Moses is saying, I know what it feels like when you, when you, you really just got to go this thing by faith. I know what it feels like when you want to throw in the towel. I know when you think you're, well, you're inadequate for the task. You don't have the words, and you don't have the strength, but, but you just keep on moving forward because I'm for you. So there's a long lineup of, of real men and real women and David and Jeremiah and Rahab and Daniel and all the list just goes on. And if you're real quiet some days, you can just hear those cheers. You can just hear those cheers from the stands. It's the principle of historical affirmation. Church history is the inspiration for church ministry. In uh, 1531, a man called uh, Thomas Bilney was burned at the stake <clears throat> because he was convinced that every person should read the scripture. And watching in the crowd was a man named Hugh Latimer. Latimer looked at Bilney and decided that he wanted to find out about a man that would die for something like this. Like, who is this guy? 
Hugh Latimer ended up becoming a Christian, eventually became the Archbishop. Then Bloody Mary came to the throne and many more were martyred. When they wrote the Westminster Confession of Faith, people came forward with cropped ears and missing arms and they were on crutches because they came down onto the playing field and they were counted. And Hugh Latimer was one of those people, as was his fellow uh, Archbishop, Archbishop Ridley. And as they were burned at the stake, Latimer looked at Ridley and said, Be of good cheer, Master Ridley. Today we shall light a flame in England that no one will be able to put out. Where do you think Hugh Latimer got that kind of faith, that kind of courage? Let me tell you. He got it because every time he closed his eyes, he saw Bilney burning at the stake and praising God. And he said, what does this guy have? The stands are full of people, people from, from the scripture that we have known well, we've read about for years, and they're in heaven. They're the Pauls and the Marys and the Marthas and the, the John Wesleys and the Martin Luthers and the C.S. Lewises and on and on and on and on. And there are people who have moved on to heaven in recent years, in recent decades. My grandfather inspired me, if even for a short season of my life, he inspired me. I have an image in my mind when I think of my grandfather. As a young kid, I would go down the stairs to the basement where my grandfather in his senior years had a room. And I would see Grandpa on his knees. He was praying. And he had the Bible spread out on his bed, and he was on his knees praying. He was a man of prayer. He was a student of the Word. And that speaks to your heart when you're 10 years old, and you never forget it. It's powerful. We stand on the shoulders of others who have gone before us. And then thirdly, the cheers are intended to inspire us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, the spectators in the stands are now all gone, right? They're in heaven. But it's, it's like they're cheering in the stadium of our faith journey. The word uh, witnesses is actually the Greek word for martyrs. Of course, not all the people in the stands were martyred, but indeed some were. And they suffered for their faith as they walked with God. It, it, and it's not suggested here that these men and women now in heaven are watching us as we run the race, like people seated in a stadium. These people are not witnessing what we're doing. Rather, they are bearing witness to us that we can make it, that we will get to the finish line, and God will make a way for us too, just like he did for them. They're saying to us, it's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it, keep going, don't stop. We've run it, keep going, you'll make it. When Napoleon was leading his army through Egypt, he stopped at the pyramids, and he gathered his troops uh, around this monumental expression of human achievement. He, he brought them around the, the pyramids and he said, Men, 
40 centuries look down on you. 40 centuries. This is what was achieved through the eons of time. There are people from every walk of life who surround us in the faith and who cheer us on. Not literally. Some might say that the people of heaven see us. They see everything that happens there. We have no real biblical evidence that that's true. I mean, how could there be happiness in heaven if they're looking onto the earth in the brokenness here? But the story of their lives and their influence is there. There are cheerleaders and there are the cheering crowd that's pulling for us. They're the witness of the past that's saying, you can do it, you will make it, we've been there. We're at, at a race, in a race, and at the end of the verse, it simply puts it this way, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Actually, the word race in the original language is the word agon. Kind of a fitting word, because we get our word agony from it. And sometimes the race we're in is filled with agony. It's a hard race. We're running the race and it's demanding and it's challenging. Have you ever lived a, a, a year that wasn't challenging? I don't think there's anybody that lives a year that's not challenging in some way. What's ahead of us will include many tests, lots of tough times, and we never know when they pop onto the radar screen. But only we, we know too well that it's an agon race. It's a race of agony at times, not always, but at times it is. We'll flesh this out a little bit more in the, in the coming Sundays, but the writer reminds us of a few things. First of all, that there's a race that's set before each of us, and maybe underline each. There is a race that is set before each of us. No two races are identical. Your race is unique. It's different from your dad or your mom or your spouse or your child or your friend or your colleague. We don't run the same race. God doesn't call us to all run the same race. They're all different. Uh, and some, some have extra challenges. Some seem to have extra bumps on the road. And yet through all of those bumps... What happens? Hearts get shaped. Characters get shaped. People choose to get bitter, but they could actually get better. There's so many choices in our race. But what is common to every race, what is common to every race is the word endurance. You might be feeling the need for some of that maybe now in your journey. I need endurance to keep going. Endurance means to abide under. It's the picture of a horse or oxen uh, pulling under a heavy load. The animal uh, is carrying a burden on a long trip and they're abiding under the load. That's the word endurance, to, to abide under a load, to be able to keep going but to abide under a load. It's not about speed, it's about going on. It's about not quitting, endurance. 
And it's not a comparison that your road seems easier or more difficult than someone else's, but it's just coming to grips with the race that God has set out for me. It's the race that God has set for me. It's the race that God has set for you. And the question is, God, what do you, what do you want my race to look like? What do you want my race to look like? Help me not to look around and say, well, they got a pretty good race. Their road seems pretty easy. But, but for all of us just to look at, the, look at the road, look at the race, and say, God, how do you want me to run the race? And then secondly, each of us has the responsibility to prepare for the race. When I attended Seattle Pacific University a few years ago, I needed an option course. And I thought I needed something that is not too demanding. So I signed up for the cross-country phys ed course. It's an easy two-hour credit. Just take it and I was going to say run, but that would be what it was. Take it and run. On the first day, the coach sent us out on a leisurely run for a few miles. I'd never done this before. I'd never run half a mile in my life. Suddenly, I'm with this pack of guys who are runners. They're loving this. Didn't take very long, and I was sputtering. About a mile in, I'm slowing down considerably. About mile three, I'm really wondering about two credits. This is ridiculous. When I finally got back to the gym at the end of the run, my stomach said, you've been hard on me today, and I'm going to let it all out. <laughs> and it did. I decorated the closest bush quite nicely. And I realized, oh, I really hadn't thought about this. I, 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 I needed to take, get this a little more serious about preparing f for this race. So cross-country was not an easy class. And I definitely had to work hard to get the two-credit hours. And my stomach never liked it, but gradually it began to settle in with a little bit of preparation. And the writer to the Hebrews reminds us of the preparation. He says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially that the sin that so easily trips us up. There are habits of life that form that we need to look at in order to prepare well for the race. You know, and someone has suggested about these verses that the sin that trips us up is common to us all. I'd never thought about this before. But the, 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 there is a sin that trips us all up, and it's the sin of unbelief. You can think about that. I'm, I'm not saying that that's exactly what the writer is saying, but I, I kind of like that. It's the sin of unbelief. It's not trusting God, and it's not taking him seriously. And that has overarching implications. So our race is to include God in the agon and to trust him when we come up against the hard parts of the road. Thirdly, each of us are challenged to run with endurance. We'll see that uh, uh, in the Sundays that are yet before us. So each of us are challenged to run with endurance. 
Would you listen to this story? And I'm going to close. In 1983, Australia hosted its ultramarathon. Would you listen to how long an ultramarathon is? 573.7 miles. All the way from Sydney to Melbourne, 573 miles. This is a, a race that takes days to run. And professionals from all over the world come to participate. Shortly after the, uh, before the race began, a 61-year-old sheep herder named Cliff Young, <laughs> wearing overalls and goulashes over his boots, walked up to the registration table and requested a number to enter the race. The folk at the registration table thought it was a joke, that somebody was setting them up. So they, so they laughed, but Cliff Young said, no, I'd really like to run. Well, people still thought it was a joke, but they gave him a number anyway, and they pinned it on his coveralls. And he walked over to the start of the line. All the other professional runners were there, and they were all decked out in their running regalia, looking at him like, he's, he's nuts. This guy's nuts. They snickered. People were laughing in the crowd. This is the biggest joke. This is funny. At least a little entertainment here. And then when the gun went off and the race began, all these professional runners with their sculpted bodies and beautiful strides made their way. They began to run. But not Cliff Young. He didn't even run like a runner. He ran with an awkward, goofy-looking shuffle. <sighs> all through the crowd, people were laughing, and then finally somebody said, Get that old guy off the track, please! Five days, 14 hours, four minutes later, at 1.25 in the morning, Cliff Young shuffled across the finish line of the 573.7-mile ultramarathon. As they would say in the amazing race, you're number one. He's number one. He came in number one. He won the race. And he didn't win by a nose. He didn't win with somebody right on his heels. He didn't win by a matter of minutes or even an hour or two. The second place runner was nine hours and 56 minutes behind him. Cliff Young had set a new world record for the ultramarathon. It was unbelievable. He became an instant hero in Australia. The press mobbed him, wondering, what kind of special running shoes does he have? And they rummaged through his backpack, wondering what he'd survived on. And he'd lived primarily on pumpkin seeds and water. And then it was discovered that nobody ever told Cliff Young that when you run in the ultramarathon, you run for 18 hours straight, and then you stop, and you sleep for three or four hours. No, Cliff Young shuffled his way to victory without ever sleeping. He endured running five days, 14 hours, and four minutes at the age of 61. He never stopped. He never stopped. He had this remarkable quality called endurance. With endurance, let us run this Christian ultra marathon. 
Some of you here today might be facing unbelievable problems. Some of you here today may be hurting deeply. Some of you here today might be struggling financially. And all of you feel like your strength is faltering and you feel a little discouraged in the Christian ultramarathon. With endurance, let us run the race. And the race is the one that God has set before you, me. They're different races. The race needs constant preparation, and the race calls for God's strength to give us endurance. Actually, there's a verse in the Bible that calls it God endurance, and we'll talk about that later. Would you stand with me and let's pray together? Lord, you've given us a race to run. That race is unique and different for all of us. None of us have the same race. Sometimes it's an agon race. It's hard. Sometimes it's a race of celebrating and rejoicing. We're grateful for those times. And we experience both. But the road, Lord, uh, when we think about it, is really all about you. Forgive us when we make it all about us. But, Lord, it's all about you. It's all about realizing the purpose and significance for our lives, why you made us, why you put us here on this earth, and, uh, it, it, and your call to live out our lives on the playing field of life. Lord, so speak to our hearts today. Uh, I don't know where you want all of this to land, but you know. So I just pray that in your sovereignty and your great love and care for each of us, that you would just take these words today, use them for your honor and glory, and thank you for being the God of endurance. We give you praise. Amen.